0: Yeah, so this this morning, what I want to look at, the um, talk is entitled 21st Century Church, and it's put that way because I think sometimes we talk about the first century church, that early church, and how did they respond to situations? How did they respond in a crisis? How did they respond when they were being persecuted? How did they respond um, when there were terrible things going on? And um, in our dimensions in our values which you see up around the wall and on the story dimension it talks about um, it talks about us as a church and that we're we're part of a much bigger story and there's this line that we use in there that says we are the latest in a long line of people who are working out what the kingdom of God looks like in their society and in their community and that's what we are In the same way that the early church was trying to figure out what this move of God looked like, what this church, what this body of Christ looked like, what this kingdom of God looked like. We're part of that same journey. We're part of that same story. We're we're just the latest people in the chain telling the story and passing it on to the next. And so what does it look like for us to be a 21st Century church in the with the challenges and the situations and the culture and the environment that we're in, and over the last few weeks, for the months um, three, four months, I've been there. Have been these little kind of phrases that have been spinning around in my head that maybe feel like they're. Um, phrases for this moment, for this season that we're in. And I just wanted to share some of them with you. and You'll you'll get a feel, you'll get a bit of a vibe for what they're like. And um, I wanted to share some of them with you because I think as we're facing difficult situations, as we're facing um, this current situation or whatever situation it might be, I think it's important for us to think What does it look like to be the body of Christ in the middle of this situation? What does it look like to be the people of God? What does it look like to reveal Jesus to our community, to our neighbourhoods, to our nation? What are the principles of a loving church? And that's what we're going to look at this morning. And the first of those phrases is God is. which might feel a little incomplete. I don't know if you remember those um, old enough. When I was growing up, there were all these cartoons, and there was all like, love is, and each cartoon had a different, you know, whatever thing at the bottom. And, um, but God is actually linked to, when Moses is talking to God and saying, who shall I say sent me to, the, um, to Pharaoh to release the Israelites, God says, tell them I am sent you. There's something of God's name and nature in this phrase. God is. And I think sometimes it's so easy to, to have in focus all the things that are going on around us. And to lose focus on God. It's so easy to think that the challenges around us are bigger than the God that we love and serve and know and are filled by. And so sometimes I think it's helpful for us to remind ourselves that God is. Whatever it is we're facing, whatever circumstance we're in, whatever your personal challenges, whatever our challenges as a church, whatever our challenges as a community, as a society, as a nation, as a world, God is. God is. He's bigger than it all. He's greater than it all. God is present in it all. God isn't, you know, God isn't off there somewhere kind of observing and deciding whether he's going to intercede or not. God is present. God is in it all, over it all, through it all. God is. And I think it's a helpful thing for us to know and to remember. As People who are created to be the image bearers of God. God is present in us. As disciples of Jesus who have surrendered our lives to God. The spirit of God is present in us. And so wherever we are, God is. So I'd love us to spend a bit of time thinking about God is, I'd love that to be one of the phrases we take with us into this week and into this month and into this year, because it helps us put perspective on things. There's a verse, it goes back to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and to us, this might not be a particular, I mean part of it's familiar, verse 5 is quite familiar, but verse 4 isn't probably that familiar to you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. In the Jewish faith, that is like their Lord's Prayer. It's called the Shema. And they will, they will recite that scripture every morning, every evening. That is what they wake up with. That is what they go to bed with. Still to this day. That is their text. That is their promise. That is their perspective of the Jewish faith. And this text is really significant. Because it comes at a time, it comes in Deuteronomy, and the Israelites have been freed from Egypt, and they are walking through the wilderness, and they're headed to the promised land. And the thing that set the Jewish faith apart was that they believed in one God. This monotheistic faith. They had existed in this world where everybody believed in multiple gods. Where society said that there were gods for everything and everything, and you had to keep those gods happy, and you had to give all your sacrifices to those gods, and there were family gods, and there were personal gods, and there were village gods, and there were city gods, and there were gods of the sky, and there were gods of the rivers, and there were gods of the harvest, and there were gods of the cattle, and there were gods of the food, and there were gods for travel, and there were gods for there were gods for all everything. And so this verse was countercultural. This verse was radical because this verse says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. There is one God. And he is over everything. We are done with the days of having different gods for every different thing in every situation. God is. And in the same way that they were facing all sorts of Challenges, all sorts of uncertainties as they approach the promised land and they approach these giant cities that they would quite reasonably hold fear of. Their verse, the promise, their commitment was God is one. I think today we take that promise of God is and put it over every. Aspect of our lives. The second phrase I have is grace abounds. It is. We talk about grace a lot. Grace is the just the abundance of God and the generosity of God and the pouring out of God. We're not because we don't have things, we don't are not loved because we've earned it, or because we've done all the right things, or we've kept God happy. Again, there is this whole and it remains, this whole idea that you know, you had to keep the gods happy and they would bless you if you did all the right things and if you obeyed all the rules and you got everything right and you said the right things and you wore the right things and you did the right things and you lived the right way, then, then maybe God might deem you worthy of being loved or being blessed. But actually what this radical message in the Gospels comes along and says, but God is a God of grace. Not because we earn it not because we're better than, not because of any of that. Grace abounds. And I believe that at this moment we have talked about that there is something going on this year, there is something going on, there is a move of God happening at the moment that we are still trying to understand. But I believe that grace abounds right now. We are invited to pray for the miracles. We are invited to pray for the things we hardly dare dream about. Just as we were worshipping, Andy came up to me and he'd messaged um, some of us um, a week or two, week, 10 days ago, um, because his, um, his lung condition had got a lot worse. And I think some of us prayed for him, I think it's someone, some people prayed for him last Sunday, and, and then some other people, I think small group prayed for him through the week, and then by Tuesday, totally healed. Which is really exciting. It's just another story. We are in a time of challenge. We are in a time of difficulty, and we're in a time where grace abounds. Let's be people who live in that grace. Let's be people who bring that grace to our neighborhoods and to our communities and to our families and to wherever to our workplaces and to our colleges and wherever we are. Let's be people through whom grace abounds and in whom grace abounds. Let's be people of grace who bless, who are outward. You know, sometimes there is this instinctive response at times like this to shrink, to pull back, to bunker down, to make sure that we've got enough for, to look after, to get protective about stuff but actually the posture of the kingdom is to expand. The posture of the Christians is to love, is to demonstrate that grace, is to live out that grace. So let's be people who pour out grace. In 1 Timothy 1 verse it says, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. God's grace is abundant. But we are not just the recipients of this grace. We are the conduits of this grace. We are the participants in this grace. Let's be people who bring grace into every situation. The next phrase, live generously. Again, let's not be people who shrink back. Let's be people who give more. You know, you've heard me talk about before. Um, in previous times, maybe you'll hear me talking about how um, giving is the antidote to not enough, and that whenever we kind of buy into this mindset of oh, I've not got enough, or I might not have enough, or which is a—you only have to wander through the supermarkets, and it seems like maybe some people are living in the not enough mentality when they're doing their shopping. Let's be people who live differently to that. Let's be people who live generously and abundantly. Let's be people who give more in these circumstances, not give less. I str- you know, um, I remember when I, was, um, when I was writing my book, I wrote a book around the grace and the Ten Commandments and all that sort of stuff. And when I was writing my book, I was, taking, I was doing that over a period of weeks, and, there was, and the day I was writing the section around do not kill, and how might we understand that today in a different context, was the morning after the bombing at the Manchester Arena. The Ariana Grande concert, all these teenagers having the time of their life, the moment they've always dreamed of, seeing their favorite singer sing live, and and then all these parents waiting to pick them up, and then there's this huge explosion. People are dying, people are injured, it's traumatic. But the thing that struck me when we watched it on the news and we saw it all happening, and we were trying to figure out what was going on, the thing that struck me was how Manchester as a city responded in that moment. People didn't shrink back in fear. People stepped out in generosity. Taxi drivers turned off their meters and just picked up anybody who needed to go anywhere and just took them. Hotels opened their doors and accommodated as many people as they could. Restaurants started making food for everybody who needed food. And there were, there were corn, people who owned shops and news agents, whatever, who were coming out with cases and cases of drinks just to give people drinks. There were people who were opening their homes and saying, if you can't get home tonight, You can stay at my house. There are people who are posting on social media saying, if anyone needs a room, come and stay at my house. If anyone needs help, let us know. If people need lifts, people are jumping in their car and picking up people and driving them to the hospital. The response of the city wasn't to shrink back at a time of crisis. The response of the city was to live generously and abundantly at a time of crisis. And it seems to me there was something of the kingdom of God in that moments. And so, that is what we look like. This is who we need to be. We need to be people who respond in a crisis with generosity, who step out instead of shrinking back. It says in 1 Timothy 6.18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Pretty good advice right now. Let's be people who live generously. Let's be people who reveal Christ through our generosity that we show. The next phrase, create space. Create space. This is something that I think God has, again, you might have heard me talk about it before, but something, this is something of a personal journey for me over the last few years. Um, We do a lot of things here. We run a lot of projects. We do a lot of stuff. And it was, I don't know, when it was three years ago, something like that maybe, and God said to me, Radham, I want you to do less for me and I want you to create more space within which I can do things. Which is quite a different style of leadership. What does it look like to create space within which God can do things rather than just working really hard to do more and more and more? What does it look like for us, as individuals, as families, as a church, as small groups, as a community, to create space within which God can do more? Rather than just being busy doing everything, ticking off our lists and getting stuff done. How do we create space within which God can do stuff? create space in our lives, creating space for, for God, for prayer. One of the best pieces of advice someone ever gave me was waste time with Jesus. Sounds a bit counterintuitive, doesn't it? Waste time with Jesus. But it made me think at the time, and, it, and it's still something I keep coming back to. You know, How often do I go and spend this time with God and I go with my list and I go with my, this is the stuff we need to talk about today, Jesus. This is, this is, and when I go with my agenda, and what does it look like for me to just be? How do I create space? How do we do that? How do we create space in our community? And that's something of what we try and do here at The Gateway. We don't just try and do lots of things. We create space within which God can do stuff where we can meet people where we can see the miracles where we can what does that look like in our neighborhood creating space might be starting a conversation and seeing what god does how do we create space in our networks in our neighborhoods in our in our communities how do we create space in ourselves in our families how do we create space In Colossians 1, 18, it says, From beginning to end he's there, towering far above everything, everyone, so spacious is he, so roomy, that everything of God finds its proper place in him. Without crowding, not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. How do we create space? where God can do the interweaving and connecting and fixing and moving and, and healing of all these different pieces into vibrant harmonies. Let's be people who create space, not just get things done. Curate hope. I feel like this is so pivotal for our time. We need to be people who curate hope. To create hope, curate hope means to encourage hope. Maybe to hold hope for other people until they're strong enough to be able to hold it for themselves. I don't know if you know if you're sharing life with any people like that who just find hope impossible at the moment. And maybe what you're called to do is to hold hope for them until they can hold it for themselves. Maybe, what does it look like for us to be people who speak hope into situations rather than magnifying the drama or the problems or the crisis? How do we be the light in situations and not just feed off the chaos or the drama of what's going on? How do we be people who curate hope? Hope is such a beautiful kingdom God revealing thing hope is right at the center of our gospel hope says that your future doesn't have to be defined by your past hope says that you don't have to live like that anymore hope says that God is involved in ways that you had no idea were possible hope says this is all headed somewhere beautiful Hope is something that is so crucial and pivotal for our community at the moment. There are a lot of people around us, maybe who are feeling hopeless, who are feeling maybe in despair, lots of worry, lots of anxiety. We can be people of hope. Let's be people who speak hope, who bring hope into every situation. We've talked before how hope is the antidote to poverty because poverty tells you that whatever your situation is, it's always going to be like that. Poverty isn't just a financial poverty or I'll never have enough money. Poverty it can be emotional, social, physical. I'm always going to be like this. This is how it's always going to be. It's never going to change. That's poverty. And hope says... You don't have to live like that anymore. Your future doesn't have to be defined by your past. doesn't have to be the same as the past. Tomorrow can be a better day. Let's be people who curate hope. Who bring hope into certain situations, into our workplaces, into our neighbourhoods, into our communities, into our families, where maybe it wasn't there before. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, So speak, encouraging words to one another, Build up hope so you'll all be together in this. No one left out, no one left behind. That feels like a powerful verse for today. For this moment that we're in. Speak encouraging words to one another and build up hope. So we all are together in this, no one left out, no one left behind. Let's be people who curate hope. Let's be people who are present. Let's be people who are present. And that's a very practical piece of advice, let's be present, let's be with people, let's connect in ways. That we are able to, whether that's virtually, whether that's face to face, however we do that safely, but let's be people who are present with other people. But also, there is something here about how we relate with God, how we express our faith. Because there are different tenses to our faith. Our faith can be passive. And maybe you'll hear, and people, it can be quite encouraging sometimes. People go, you know what? God's got it. If it happens, it's supposed to happen. If it doesn't happen, it's not supposed to happen. I trust God for whatever. It's not necessarily wrong, but it's passive. It will be what it will be. There are times when that faith is entirely appropriate. Sometimes our faith can be active. We've just got to do more. We've got to help more people. We've got to share. We've got to evangelize more. We've got to share our faith more. We've just got to keep doing more because this is what God's told us to do. We've got to get out there and do it. That's not necessarily wrong. We need to do that sort of thing. Sometimes our faith needs to be active. We need to live that out. But I think sometimes what we miss is that there's a third tense to our faith. Present. What does it look like for us to be present? Because active passive is fine. Passive is good. Active is good. But sometimes we miss out on present. And to be present in our faith isn't just to be driving and pushing and what to do more and more, and isn't just to be sitting back and going, well, whatever happens, God's got it. To be present is to allow God to be in relationship with us in every moment, to be sensing what the Spirit is doing. So Jesus says, I only do what I see my Father doing. He's talking about a present faith. I am in communication with the Father all the time, and whatever I see the Father doing, I will do. Wherever I feel the Spirit prompting, I will go. I will speak. I will do whatever it is I feel the Spirit is prompting me to, and it requires us to be present with God so we can bring God's presence into every situation. Let's be present in our faith, as well as active, as well as passive. Proverbs 3 verse 6 says, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Listen for God's voice in everything you do, everywhere you go. He's the one who will keep you on track. Don't assume you know it all. Run to God. Allow God to be with you in every moment and be with God in every moment. Be present with the Spirit. Take the Spirit of God into every situation with you. Finally, love wins. Love wins. However dark it might feel, however difficult it might look, however uncertain tomorrow might be, Our God says that love wins. The story that we are part of concludes with love as the victory. The Bible says that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love. Drives out fear. Love wins. We are part of this kingdom of God. We are part of this body of Christ. We are part of this story that God is telling and are the center of that story, the center of our this kingdom that we're part of, is love. Let's be people of love. Let's be people who love unconditionally. Let's not be people who give way to fear, and that's natural, that's human, don't beat yourself up. If you feel yourself a bit anxious or panicky, that's not what I'm saying. But where we feel ourselves feeling anxious, or worried, or panicky, Where we feel ourselves, we're a little fearful. Let's be people who turn to God. Let's be people who allow the love of God to move that fear out of us, to expel that fear from us. Let's be people who love well. Because love wins. So, I'm just going to recap quickly because you might have forgotten some. So God is, all right, grace abounds, live generously, create space, curate hope, be present, love wins. This is something of how I think we're supposed to look as a church at the moment. Let's take some of those principles of love into our community, into our homes, into our workplaces. Let's be people who try and work out some of those things in our lives, in our everyday. Our community needs God. Our community needs love. Our community needs hope. Our community needs all of these things. Let's be the visible representation of the God that we worship and we follow. Let's be people who reveal Jesus to the world around us in all of these ways. Amen.